Well, first, it's really, really good and okay to have a lot of doubts and questions and confusion. If you don't understand everything about your faith, that probably means your faith is placed in a God who's bigger than you, and that's good. If there are things you look at in the natural world and you say, I just don't get how these two things line up. My faith and these, this evidence I see, it feels contrary. That's probably good because every natural evidence I've ever seen says people don't rise from the dead. And so it should feel contrary at times. For you and me, it's good to have questions because questions spark in us an opportunity to wonder. God, I wonder at these things I don't know. And I wonder at your promises I don't yet experience. And I wonder at your goodness when life is really hard. And that's good for all of us. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Once again, good morning. He is risen. What a good promise. Jesus is risen. Last week, this week, next week. He is risen for you, and he's risen for me, and he's risen for your neighbor, who seems to always drive you nuts. He is risen, and that is good for you and me. There's something about our nature, though, that is not very satisfied with just hearing a good story and calling it good enough. Like, you guys know this, right? When there's an accident on one side of the interstate, what do you do on the other side of the interstate? You slow down and rubberneck because you want to see everything that happened for yourself. And then you cause an accident on that side of the interstate, and then nobody's going anywhere. You know this if you have brothers or sisters, but especially brothers. Like, they find gross things, and they're not content to just tell you about the gross thing. They have to show you. They're like, hey, check out how spoiled this milk is. Smell this. Right? There's something in our nature that wants more than just a good story we've heard. We want something to be real and real for us. And you and I live 2,000 years removed from the death and resurrection of Jesus. And unfortunately, in many times and in many places, we are inundated with this message. He is risen. Just trying to see if you fell asleep yet. We're inundated with this message, and we know the story. Of course he's risen. Yeah, I've heard all about that since I was a little kid. And of course Jesus loves me. Don't you know that song they've always sung? 
And unfortunately for us, in many cases, this really, really good news, earth-shattering, world-changing news that he is risen for us often becomes just another thing we know, but it doesn't seem all that real. And it can be easy to be distracted 2,000 years removed and say, okay, he's risen, but cancer seems to still be present. Why? We can say, he is risen, but my loved ones have died, and I'm still sad. He is risen, and yet my addiction won't break. So what's the point of following him if things don't change? What's the point in hoping that he is risen if my life doesn't seem any different? Over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to be asking that question, what's the point? And I know there's a little play on words there, because we're the point, like who are we as a church? But more importantly, if Jesus is truly risen, what's the point in everything we do? How do we go about our daily lives differently because he's risen. For some people, because he is risen means now life should be easy, right? He is risen, there shouldn't be any more problems. Has that been your experience? He is risen, and because he's risen, I should now be able to have all the answers to all my questions, And yet you find yourself wrestling saying, some things still don't make sense. And I don't always get an answer when I'm asking God, and sometimes the answer I get feels like the opposite of what I was hoping for. What's the point if I don't know what to do next? Today, eight days after Easter Sunday, according to the way Jews would count the calendar, because any portion of a day counted as a whole day, so even though it's only seven days later, one week later, it'd be eight for them. Today, eight days after he's risen, as we dive into scripture, we're going to see a man who gets a really bad rap most of the time. Have you ever heard of a man named Thomas? Okay, some of you have. For the rest of you, let me tell you, he was one of the disciples. He walked with Jesus for three years. He experienced miracle after miracle. He got to listen to Jesus' preaching firsthand, which would be way better than you guys having to listen to me. We don't get to have that. He got to be there when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. And he got to be there that week as Jesus suffered and died, going, now what? In eight days after the resurrection, Thomas is left out. You see, all the other disciples at this point have experienced Jesus risen from the dead. They've seen it with their own eyes firsthand, and they've told Thomas, he's risen. And Thomas says, I don't believe it. Because let's be honest, have you ever seen somebody rise from the dead? I haven't, and honestly, if I do, it will freak me out. I don't know that I want that at the next funeral I I do, even though I kind of do. All the other disciples experience that first Easter day where Jesus shows up and proves to them that he's risen, but not Thomas. Thomas, he hears a good story, but it's not yet real for him. And so he's kind of 
been given this bad rap throughout history where it's like, oh, doubting Thomas over here, he just doesn't quite believe. We shouldn't be like Thomas, we should just fully believe. And sometimes we think that doubt therefore is the problem. And if you doubt your faith, or if some of these promises of God seem too good to be true, then maybe there's something wrong with you. Thomas, here in the story, he's desperate to see it real for himself. If you want, you can join me in John chapter 20. The same chapter where Jesus rises from the dead and he appears to Mary Magdalene, who herself did not recognize that it was Jesus. And then Jesus appears to the disciples who themselves don't recognize that it's Jesus. Why is it that Thomas gets such a bad rap? It seems nobody really gets it until God makes it clear. Here's how the story goes. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's easy to villainize Thomas. How can you not believe Jesus said it would happen? And yet, this story seems so far from possible. Unless I see it with my own eyes, I can't believe it. In many ways, we're not that much different from Thomas today. Filled with doubts, we live in a culture that says reason and rational thought is the most important thing. Now, that doesn't mean we're all very good at reasoning or thinking rationally, but we've elevated our ability to comprehend and to observe and to analyze as the primary thing to know what is true and what is not. We're not much different than Thomas. Thomas, he hears this really good story of something too good to be true, and he says, I just can't believe it myself. But aren't we often quite like that as well? Jesus promises hope, and yet we find ourselves filled with anxiety and panic because I know he provides for my daily bread, but right now my bills are kind of tight. We find ourselves in many cases saying, I believe, but help my unbelief. Thomas here, he doesn't get to be privileged that first Easter Sunday to the resurrection. And I think this was on purpose. Like, God knew that he wasn't there when he showed up. I don't think Jesus showed up and was like, let me count. Oh, there's only 10 of you? Yeah, that'll be close enough, right? He knew Thomas was missing. And I think that was on purpose because of what happens next. Eight days later, that is eight days after the resurrection, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Which right there, picture that, right? The doors were locked and Jesus shows up inside. Right off the bat, I would be terrified. Not only was this man dead, he's now dead inside my house. <laughs> Jesus shows up. Peace be with you. That's what you need in our fears, in our doubts, in our confusions. 
We need God to speak peace. Peace be with you. And then he continues. He says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. I love the tenderness in Jesus. Thomas declares to the disciples, I want to believe, but I just can't unless I see it for myself, unless I touch it and feel it and know that it's real. I want to believe, but I can't. And Jesus doesn't show up and scold Thomas and say, Thomas, I told you, how come you didn't believe? He doesn't show up and say, I've risen from the dead. What else do you need of me? Right? Like, how much more can I prove that I'm being true by dying and rising again? Now, he doesn't show up to chastise or come with guilt or condemnation. He comes to Thomas in this place of doubt and disbelief and questions and confusion. He says, Thomas, here's the proof you need. Everything. Go ahead. Feel it. See it. Here it is. Believe. And then the story continues. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, we have a difficult task as Christians. It is weird to place our hope in a man who died 2,000 years ago, who claims to have risen from the dead. I've never seen him or touched his hands or his feet. Have you? It is weird to believe in a faith that started as an outcast, actually as a criminal cult. It is weird to believe in these things that Jewish people 2,000 years ago were desperately seeking. Our faith as Christians does not make sense, except because he's risen. See, there's nothing about Christianity that makes any value to any of us if Jesus is not risen. But if he is risen, indeed, there is great hope for us. If Thomas's doubt and confusion and questions can be answered by Jesus and met with kindness and care, here, see the proof you need. How much more so can our doubt and questions and confusion? Then John, he continues after this with a couple of lines. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. Like, right there, just a little caveat. How rude, right? <laughs> he is risen from the dead, but he did other things that I'm not going to tell you about. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I love that. Jesus did so much more that we can't even begin to tell you about. But these things are written so that you can believe. See, for you and I, as we wrestle with this good news that Jesus is risen, 
And then we turn around tomorrow morning to go to work. And life is hard or ugly or miserable or maybe just boring, right? That's an okay place to be too. As we go about our day with this promise that he's risen and we're left with this, what's the point? It doesn't feel any different now. There's really good news for us. These things were written so that we may believe. And I believe wholeheartedly this story of Thomas's doubt and confusion was not left so we could shame Thomas, how come you didn't get it? but was purposefully included there by God so that you and I, when filled with doubt and confusion and questions, could say we're not alone. And not only are we not alone, God graciously comes to make himself known to us. No, most of us this side of his return will not get to see or feel his hands and his feet In fact, I would say probably all of us this side of his return won't get to put our hand on his side and know for ourselves on our own account that he is risen. But he gave us these disciples. John, he writes this gospel near the end of his life. By the time John is writing, all the other disciples have been killed because of their faith that Jesus rose from the dead. And John's the last one alive. And he writes this account knowing that soon after he will pass away and there won't be any other witnesses who were there that day who saw Jesus interact with Thomas's doubt and confusion. John says, I need to write these things down that those who come after can believe on account of these things. So what does that mean for you and I as we go about our daily life? Well, first, it's really, really good and okay to have a lot of doubts and questions and confusion. If you don't understand everything about your faith, that probably means your faith is placed in a God who's bigger than you, and that's good. If there are things you look at in the natural world and you say, I just don't get how these two things line up. My faith and these, this evidence I see, it feels contrary. That's probably good because every natural evidence I've ever seen says people don't rise from the dead. And so it should feel contrary at times. For you and me, it's good to have questions Because questions spark in us an opportunity to wonder. God, I wonder at these things I don't know. And I wonder at your promises I don't yet experience. And I wonder at your goodness when life is really hard. And that's good for all of us. And so here at the point, we intentionally encourage questions. If you've been here more than like 10 minutes, you know we talk about questions a lot because I think questions are the way in which we discover more of God. Now, you and I can talk questions all day long, and yeah, I've got a theological degree so I can give some big words and some fancy what other people said, but the truth is you can find all of those big words and fancy what other people said on Google. You don't need me for that part of your faith. 
But you know, I think questions back and forth, either anonymously here on Sunday mornings or over coffee or a drink or lunch, these questions back and forth are good for us because they drive us not to our own understanding, but to go back to his word. What does God reveal here? What have we seen here that can help us believe in spite of our unbelief? So this morning, I want to encourage you. If you have questions and things you just don't quite grasp, or doubts you're saying, God, I want to believe, but dive into Scripture. Make a habit of reading or listening to or meditating on or talking about His Word. All of this was written so that we can believe what he has done for us. And the truth is, there will be days when believing is really, really hard. Not because he's not a good father or a good God, but because we are broken and sinful and don't see things clearly. And when things are hard to believe, question everything. Part of what I... Uh, came to find questions to be a helpful part of life is there was a season in my own life when I was in college where I was really struggling saying, God, I, I, I believe, but I don't really want to. Like, this seems so absurd. I kind of want to just go about my life and have Sundays free and not have to go this direction. I want to do whatever I please. And while I was wrestling with a lot of questions specifically about injustice that I witnessed, I watched a movie which I do not endorse and I'm not recommending, a movie called Dogma, which if you've seen it, has nothing to do with the Christian faith. In fact, it's a mockery of the Christian faith in many ways. But through that process of this mockery of the faith, I personally came to say it's okay that I don't actually know all the things I think I know. And it's okay to not always be certain and to wrestle and to question. And for me, that weird movie led me to say, I want to pursue and question and explore. And about a decade later, God brought me here to a church where long before I got here, you guys said, questions are good, let's keep asking them. What questions are you wrestling with? Are you taking time to Google them or are you taking time to dive into God's word and search them out? Are you seeking people who know his word and saying, I don't get it, but I'll believe it because it says so. If you and I take all of our doubts and all of our confusion and all of our questions and we recenter it on God's word, I promise you will grow in faith and an understanding of a God who loves you more than we could ever tell you or ever show you. That's my hope and my prayer and the point of us as Christians to grow together in his word. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you. I thank you for Thomas, one of your disciples who walked with you, who ate with you, who watched you raise people from the dead, and yet he himself did not fully believe until he could experience it firsthand. God, while many of us will never, this side of your return, experience firsthand the wounds in your hands and your feet and your side, I thank you that these things were written so that we may believe. Teach us today to believe. 
teach us today to ask the hard questions, to wrestle with the uncertainties, and to know that you graciously and kindly come to us to meet us where we're at through your word time and time again. God, we thank you for your kindness and your love. May we draw near to you each day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our worship this morning, we're going to collect an offering. If you prefer to give online and you came prepared to give today, you can give online at thepointknox.com by clicking the little button in the bottom corner and selecting the I'd like to give option. If you're somebody who prefers pen and paper, good for you. That's really hard to do in 2022. But you can give with cash or check in the popcorn buckets in the back as you exit. Um, You can also fill out one of those physical connect cards and let us know how we can be praying for you. How we can be joining you in prayer and coming before God saying, on behalf of our brother and our sister, let's pray. And you can place those physical cards in the buckets as well. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, believing questions are helpful. What questions were texted in for me to respond to today? We have a lot. Awesome. Okay. So the first one, I'll just jump right in. The first one is, lately James 127 has been on my mind in regard to the widows and orphans. Raised by a single mother, I think of the times of my life where I could have used an outside godly male influence. It would have made a difference, and now as I'm older, um, I'm realizing how important that is. How historically did the church help widows and orphans to be that steady, positive reflection of the Lord? And is there anything that we can take away to use in these times of rising single-parent households? Those are two great questions. Uh, Historically, one of the primary ways the church grew was based on its care for people who were hurting. Uh, And widows and orphans were right up there on the top. Uh, How has the church historically, I don't know if that's referring to like the point or the whole church. So the whole church has literally done pretty much everything at some point or another from providing free education. I, I don't know if you know that the public education system started as Christians educating people and then grew after that. Uh, hospitals and all kinds of things like that, orphanages for those who don't have homes, for widows, offerings and raising support. Um, You think of it, it's probably been done at some point by the church. Flip side is it's probably also been used as a tool against widows and orphans at times because we are broken. And so how have we at the point done a lot or what are we doing? Um, We partner with organizations like the Empty Cup that supports adoption. We love adoption and foster care here. Uh, We partner with organizations like the Community Coalition Against Human Trafficking that helps women who are vulnerable and on their own get out of really bad situations. Um, And also, what can we do to that second question with single moms or single parents? I think the answer is a whole lot more. Uh, If there's something on your heart you would like to begin doing to serve single parents, Come talk to me. I would love to do more to make that a big part of what we're doing. Awesome. All right, next question. Having just read the book of Esther for the first time, I learned that many people don't believe it should be included in the Bible because God's name isn't verbally mentioned. However, he doesn't seem to be absent from the book. Why did the author choose to leave his name out? Does that decision discredit the book? No. It does not discredit the book. I think, in fact, the author of Esther left his name out for several reasons. 
but the biggest reason being uh, the time Esther was written was a time that people were wondering, where is God? Is he present? Because they were living through all kinds of hardship that they thought wasn't consistent with the God who loved them. And so I think the fact that God's name directly was left out of Esther was actually an opportunity for the author to say, when God feels distant, let me show you where he's at. He's moving in all these things you may not see, even if you don't realize it. So I think that was a purposeful decision. Cool. Okay, this one says, I had a terrible experience in a past church. Any suggestions on how to overcome and engage again? I find myself extremely fearful to commit to a church now. First off, I'm sorry. Churches are filled with really broken, imperfect people. And uh, broken people will often hurt and break other people. So I'm sorry the church was not a safe place for you. With that, how do you overcome that fear? I think you overcome fear. Scripture says perfect love casts out all fear. I think you overcome fear by finding someone who loves you, which is really hard in the church when you're afraid of the church. So take a step of faith and say, I want to try to connect. Maybe that's with me or with Emily or with anybody that you see up here or any of our volunteers. Maybe that's beginning to serve to say, is this a safe place? Or even just beginning to say, I want to commit to sitting in the very back row every week for a while just to observe. That's okay. We love the back row. You're welcome there anytime. Um, and, and so I said, take that one step, and I hope that we will be a place and a people who will not hurt you purposefully. And when we hurt you by accident because we're sinful, I hope that we will be a people who repent and say, I'm really sorry, will you please forgive me? Over and over and over again. Okay, next question. Um, I'm paraphrasing this just slightly, but... Do you miss having service at a movie theater? And if possible, are we going to have special services at the Empty Cup again? Uh, there are things I miss about the movie theater, like cup holders and cushy seats and a really big screen. Um, there are things I don't miss about the movie theaters, like having to set up every week and tear down and being restricted to uh, four hours a week was our time that we could use the space. and. Uh, yeah, so there was good and there was bad. I'm so thankful God brought us there and brought us from there here. Will we ever do services at the Empty Cup again? Maybe. The Empty Cup is a smaller place that we can do, and we used to do small services with like 30 or 40 people. Uh, those are kind of neat, so we could do something there in the future if there's uh, a good reason for it. So. Absolutely. Okay, any idea why Thomas wasn't with the others when Jesus appeared, other than to give us a lesson on doubt? No idea. Maybe he went fishing, maybe he was hungry, maybe he overslept, I don't know. <laughs> great, great, great. Okay, I know I'm just flying through these, but there's just, there's a good chunk of them. Okay, you said that Christianity doesn't have value for us without Jesus' resurrection. Isn't there intrinsic value in the ethical behavior that Jesus taught and promoted? That's a good Stop. one. That is a good one for later in the week. Uh, my brief answer, and I'm going to respond more later on a Point Leftover video. My brief answer is perhaps, but the world is filled with good moral teachings. And if all we need from Christianity is good moral teachings, we can find those without Jesus. So uh, I pause because it, 
maybe, but I'd be more prone to say, without Jesus, none of those good moral teachings really are unique or matter. Uh, so I'll, I'll respond more in a Point Leftover video later this week on Facebook. So follow the Point Knox, all one word on Facebook. And if you're not on social media, just um, shoot me an email or head to the contact us page and I will shoot you a link to the answer. To the answer. You better get it right. Just kidding. Okay. Um, I'm curious about speaking in tongues, mostly referencing Acts 2. At, I think Acts 2, like the number 2? Yeah, Acts chapter 2 okay. is where Pentecost okay. happens. And how that translates to how it's applied today. That's also a great question that is much longer than my short answer. And the really short answer is uh, throughout the book of Acts specifically, we see speaking in tongues happen in two ways. One is speaking in a foreign language that other people can understand, perhaps a language you didn't know on your own, and that language helps them to hear the gospel in their own tongue. And we also see the speaking in tongues and speaking in some kind of a spiritual language that's maybe not uh, inherently understandable by man. And throughout Scripture and Acts and in Corinthians, these are good gifts that God gives. So anybody who says speaking in tongues is bad, they're probably not entirely right. But at the same time, it's been abused in the church to be a measure where if you don't speak in tongues, you don't believe. That's bad too. Like you can be a follower of Jesus and speak in tongues and you can be a follower of Jesus and not speak in tongues. So if you do, great. If you don't, okay. And if you wanna learn more, well, Coming up in a few weeks, we're going to start a series going through the book of Acts, and we'll be talking more in depth about what it is and what it was and uh, what it means for us today. Excellent. Um, this person says, I'm studying the Bible, and was Judaism the main religion in the Bible? If so, when did Judaism and Christianity split, and what are the main differences between the two? Also, you should come back for the story of Acts when we do that. <laughs> Uh, these are great promotions. You guys are really setting me up. Uh, because Acts is the story of the church after the resurrection. And what happened and what we see in the book of Acts is Judaism and Christianity continue because Christianity is the fulfillment of the promises of Judaism. So to the first question, is it the main uh, religion? It is the main religion of the people of God, specifically the people of Yahweh, the God that Jews follow. And then when Jesus comes and fulfills everything they were hoping for, just they didn't always realize it, it begins to be centered in Christ, which is where Christian comes from. In fact, Christian literally means a little Christ. You and I are like Jesus to the world around us. And in Acts, they wrestle with really difficult questions. Like for Jewish people, it was essential you were circumcised to be a part of the faith. And as all these grown men were converting from pagan and Gentile and foreign ways to this God, they're like, wait, wait, do we have to do that too? I'm not sure I'm quite ready to take that step. And so in Acts, we see there begins to be some division where they're like, no, we don't have to do that anymore. But they still don't say Judaism's bad. In fact, I don't think we should say that today. They're just those who are Jewish and not following Jesus are misguided. Um, so yeah, where did the split happen? As people started placing their hope in Jesus, the specific need for all the old rules and laws began to dissipate, and that's what caused the division. That's awesome. Okay, there are two more questions. The first one, 
says, help me to understand how to pray for Ukraine. My heart wants to pray that Putin gets hit by a bus. I just wish there would be a way to understand why all these innocent people who are being murdered by this monster. How do you pray for Ukraine um, as the spirit leads? And I'll give you a really cool example. So this week I had the joy of chaperoning a first grade field trip. Anybody ever done that before? <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, and one of the girls that was in my car actually has an uncle and her grandma and grandpa who live in Lviv. And so this has been really heavy on her heart for a couple of months. Uh, and as a result, it's been heavy on her classmates' heart, uh, hearts for the last couple of months. And so on the chaperone or on the drive, Anytime first graders began kind of shifting conversations like first graders do to things I didn't think they needed to talk about, like boyfriends and girlfriends and kissing people and, you know, bodily functions, and I would just try to re-shift the conversation by asking a question. And so I asked a question. I said, what do you hope for this summer? And the first kid said he hoped to come over and play with my son. So we can make that happen. And the next person said something else they hoped for. I don't remember. And then the girl whose uncle is in Ukraine said, I hope the fighting in Ukraine stops. Man, when you're driving, it's hard to not cry when a first grader says that, right? And then the girl next to her said, well, I hope it doesn't stop this summer. I hope it stops today. Let's ask Jesus that it does. How do you pray for the people in Ukraine? Well, you remember that they're hurting. You pray for whatever's on your heart with that. You also remember that these Russian soldiers who are there are hurting, and these Russians in Russia are hurting. And so there's a lot to pray for, and we can and should probably be consumed with a need to pray all the time. So that's how you do it. Yeah. We can get some tissues up here. <laughs> um, I'm really good at talking through yeah, tears. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. The last question this morning says, I believe in him, but I don't understand why he takes our loved ones so early. There's really good news. He is risen. And I don't just say that flippantly. Death is coming to all of us. It just is what it is. Death is the result of sin. And you and I are living in a broken and sinful world. And so when people we love are gone, whether they're gone after a few months or after a hundred years, it hurts. And part of the resurrection is a hope that death has been defeated. We live with the pain of loss today, knowing that one day there will no longer be that pain. One day, all who die in Christ will rise again, and we will see our loved ones again, and it won't be that we're spirits floating aimlessly in clouds and playing harps. No, we will see our loved ones with bodies that we can hug again, that we can hold again. And so in the face of death and sorrow and hurt, we can ask the question, why are they taken so soon? And the answer is, I don't know. Or we can ask the question, God, when are you coming back? Because then we will have our loved ones again, and violence will stop, and sorrow will end, and hunger will be over, and life will be as it was supposed to be. Why are they gone? I don't know. But he's coming back again. It'll be okay. Anything else? That's it. That was a lot. I, I told you. Thank you. Yeah. All right.
Well, church, thank you for all those questions and waiting patiently through all of them. I think we have some more coffee as you uh, had. No, it's all gone. Well, you're stuck having listened to all that with no more coffee to get you through the rest of the day. Sorry. As you go today, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.